Welcome to UpcomingHorrorMovie.com's UHM Podcast. Okay, folks, we're back after a little hiatus. Welcome to UpcomingHorrorMovie.com's UHM Podcast. I'm your host once again, Ryan Tudelo. And uh, with me again, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Shane Smith. Hello, all. You had me worried there, Shane. I thought <laughs> I lost you for a second. <laughs> oh, God, not that again. <sighs> oh, yes. Little audio problems today. Hopefully we won't have any while we're recording. Um, anyway, also joining me, new to the podcast, but actually one of the people who is instrumental in trying to get it set up. I remember... Uh, George was pushing through to get the podcast actually up and going, but we couldn't get the bastard on the show forever. <laughs> I'm difficult. So uh, here he is, live. Uh, UHM's actual author, somebody with some discernible talent, which most of us actually lack, uh, <laughs> Mr. George Pastore. Hello. Hey, hello, George. Hello, everyone from the wonderful state of New Jersey. Yes. Everybody's favorite. Always. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so George, since you are actually um, a published author, you want to tell us about some of the stuff that you write? Um, I've had in the past, I've had a, a pretty good knack for just writing things, so I, um, I put some of my talents to what I tried to get into a publication, all starting through basically the forums at Upcoming Heart Movies. And the feedback I got from my early work from the members of the, the message board was so positive that I decided maybe I do have a talent. So I really put some effort into starting to write and ended up getting published in a few different anthology books. And I have a novel that is so, so close to being put out there for everyone to uh, take a gander at. Now, what's that one about, just to give him a little taste? Uh, the novel is, oh, man, this thing evolved from being one thing to another thing to another thing. And it's basically, it, it, it ties into and it delves into the how children are um, basically attracted to evil. And it's kind of crazy because it's actually documented the curiosity of a child is peaked when there there's like a, a kind of like an essence of evil about whatever they're they're looking into and this, this isn't based on a true story from your house isn't it like your kids aren't uh, I, can't, I, I, can't, I can't confirm or deny that yet um <laughs> I did hear a kind of a hissing sound when one of them got baptized, but I didn't know if that was from the water or not. So, um, yeah, now this story is from my demented mind, and uh, it's it's up there. I mean, I'm going through the, the final edits and tightening up of it now, and some of the stuff I'm going over is actually making me uh, – I'm having, like, bad dreams. It's like they're not like nightmares, but they're just not – they're not good. <laughs> they're very far from good. So hopefully, oh, that's the, awesome. so hopefully the finished product actually has that um, going for it, and it gives that reaction to readers. I would, I would love to have give people sleepless nights. 
Yeah, and I'm sure we're, everybody's looking forward that. to it. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's good to finally have you on, George. Um, Glad to be here. <clears throat> an old school member from the UHM forum, and probably you were you were on even before the forum, right? Were you one of those original guys? I was. Um, oh, and man. then I left. For, I stalked for a while, and something happened to my original account, and then magically it, it was back. And if you look at my name on the on the forum, I think it says I'm active since 2004. Nice, old school. You're one old bastard. I am. I am an old bunch bastard. Of old, <laughs> bunch of old guys talking about horror movies. The young kids will love it. I'm a juvenile old bastard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a uh, we got a great episode today. Um, in honor of George being on here, and I think it was his idea, we're going to cover some literary topics on uh, for for horror movies going on. Uh, first, we're going to start off and go over a bunch of uh, Stephen King films and sort of get some random thoughts about that and then uh after that we're going to move on to some specific films um not stephen king but other horror adaptations that came from books um that we're going to be discussing and depending on how long we go we'll probably have to split this one into two episodes so maybe we'll have to squeeze in some some phony type of okay we'll see you later and then we're back <laughs> yeah. i don't know we'll see how it goes such a room not to get too behind the scenes here. Um, so, yeah, let's let's start off on our first topic. Um, I guess we just want to call it Stephen King films, but I think um, when you originally suggested it, George, you were going to say, uh, why can't they make a good Stephen King adaption or something along those lines? <laughs> yeah, basically, pretty much. I mean, even the ones that are good, they're, they're I feel myself that they stand good as being a movie of their own accord, but they don't. They do not live up to the, uh, the source material. It's mm-hmm. it's usually cliche, and everybody says it. You know, oh, it's never as good as the book. It's never as good as the book. <laughs> Sometimes it's cliche or not, it's the truth. And with a lot of the Stephen King adaptions, um, that's that holds true. No, I can agree with you on that. But is there ever a time when it's as good as the book? I mean, I'm, I'm having a tough time thinking of a movie that was that sort of surpassed the book. You know what I mean? Stand by me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that well, I guess that was a wasn't that part of a short story collection? Yeah, it was called the body. Yeah, the body. I remember that. Um, that, that was also the same book. That was different seasons. Um, yeah, different seasons. Had, yeah, yeah. That also had apt pupil in it and the Shawshank Redemption. Yes, I remember that because I remember when I when I got that book. I think I actually. That might have been the first audiobook I ever listened to. I remember when I was young, we went to the library and like rented an audiobook and we were going on vacation. I think we were going to New Hampshire or something, so we're driving in the car for a good time. And we listened to the body the whole way up. And what we didn't realize is that it also had the other stories on it. So we're like listening to the body and things are happening and every now and then it goes into a pause whenever there's sort of like, I guess you'd call a chapter break or, mm-hmm. you know, a change of scenery or whatever. So unknowing to, unknowns to us, the story finishes and then the next story starts. I think it was apt pupil and everyone's like, what the hell is going on? Who the hell are these people? Why is there a Nazi in here? <laughs> like we're just completely lost. We didn't realize until afterwards that it wasn't just one story we were listening to. It was multiple ones. Yeah, and the movies came. The movies came out pretty much a couple years after all that, like after Pupil and um, 
Shawshank Redemption, and all those were actually written and published in '82. Yeah, I remember uh, the body. Or, um, yeah, the body was '87 or something like that. It had to be mid '80s. Uh, no, he originally wrote that, and it's, well, Stand by Me was really. Oh, I meant Stand by Me. That's yes. what I meant. The original the yeah. story was actually yeah, was a... written in '82. I mean, that's kind of par for the course. Though, if you think about the the King movies, they were cranking out. Yep. You know, during that time period, to get to a newer written book, they they had a little bit of catch up to do, I think. And it was set in, in a time for, in a different time period, anyway. So it was like there was no rush. There was nothing going to yeah. no nothing going to be lost in translation from a time perspective. Yeah, I mean, see, Stand by Me is a pretty good start. That that one's a classic. That's that's what you consider a great movie. Oh, absolutely. Know? Good acting, great story, and that's one of the few films you can watch. And and the whole film is populated by children, and everybody's really good. You never see that nowadays. Kids are terrible actors. Yeah, that, that was look at that cast now. They're still they're still like striving in the industry. They're all of them. They're all really good. Apart from River Phoenix. I was gonna say yeah. that. Yeah. Shane. You know, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, should I say River Phoenix? And I'm like, nah, Shane will say it. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Tact strikes again. Oh, man. Yes, Captain Tact. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a great one. Everybody loves that that vomiting scene where they tell that. And I was surprised that that was actually, that was in the story. Like, you know, that's something you figure, well, maybe they added that for a comedic break but nope that's right in there in the yeah, book yeah it is it's like the hallmark moment of See, that no matter how many times i watch stand by me that scene always has me rolling in my seat it really does i'm on the floor pretty much <laughs> it's just so funny yeah and in a way i mean it, starting off a horror show talking about stephen king books and using stand by me as the first <laughs> <laughs> the first example, but if you really think about it, if you, as a child watching that, it was, it was a scary movie because it was, it was realistic, it was reality, reality. Oh yeah, is, it's often more scary than fiction. And I'll tell you what, that that train moment, if you watch it now, that's still intense. Oh, absolutely. You know, you're gonna be on the yeah. edge of your seat. Then even at the end, when they sum everything up, and you know, uh, River Phoenix's character ended up getting stabbed because he was. The guy that always wanted to keep peace, and that was touching and scary at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you could you can see a lot of the the similarities um, between that and, and something like it, where it's most of it's told in the past, mm-hmm. and or actually, in my opinion, most of the interesting stuff is in the past. Yes, and I know it it goes more present, but that's you know we could cover that in a little bit, but um. The whole past description and the friends hanging out and like the adventures they go on in both stories. I mean, that's that's something anybody can relate to. Everybody was a kid at one point and running around in the woods. Oh, actually, I don't know about kids today. They they probably don't have the same types of experiences. No, no. And that, oh, yeah. That's all telltale stuff of early King too. Um, children and and doing flashbacks and really doing amazing character building. Yeah. And that's why, like, if you want to compare Stand By Me to, like, other King movies, I think that, that one stands out the most because the movie did that with the characters. You you felt for every one of them. You 
Yeah. And the more times you watch that movie, they became almost like your own friends. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of character building, I know on the um, on the Facebook uh, fan page, um, I think it was Anne Marie Hendry was saying that she just can't get into Stephen King books. Yes. And I think I think I could see that from some point because a lot of his books, especially the bigger ones and the older ones are like 80% character building. It's not about what the characters are doing. It's about like what they have done in the past and how they react to things now. He goes into so much depth in his character building that some people are almost like, all right, get to the point, you know? Yeah, I'm, I know that post you're talking about because I replied directly to her. Yeah. And the thing with Stephen King was even if when he doesn't do character building, he can take someone turning a doorknob and turn it into a chapter. <laughs> and how descriptive he gets and like he'll use that moment like someone touching a doorknob to like have that character spark a flashback on that character and all of a sudden it went from turning a doorknob to a flashback to build a character up and then you know like 20 pages later you're back to still turning that same doorknob yeah and I feel like that whole that character point is something that I mean we're gonna bring up a million times talking about all the King movies because none of them can build the characters that he has in the books, nope. especially the, the, the good books, you know, the, the ones that you really remember. You get so attached to the characters, and when you see them in the movies, it's one of those things that if you've read the book and you can sort of already apply the, the character types that you've learned from the book to the movie, you enjoy it a lot more. But the movie itself, if you haven't read the story or don't know it at all, it, it lacks that, like, intensity or that sort of character dynamic that you would get from the book. Yeah, plus when you're holding a book and reading it, it it's more personal. It's you, You're more of one with the story, I think, reading it off a page, and you are viewing a movie. It's tangible. To yeah. I, there is some, there's nothing quite like holding a book in your hand and just reading it and using your own imagination as opposed to watching a film. Yeah, I mean, good writers, when good writers get their job done the right way, it's like when you're reading the book, like if Shane and I were reading the same book and we're both on the same page, his interpretation, his mm. visuals will be different than mine. Yeah. Well, that's just because Shane's fucked up. Well, I mean, <laughs> I was going to say well, that. Yeah. But I wanted to be nice. <laughs> my first podcast, I was going to stay nice for a while. <laughs> oh, George, George, don't worry about that. Everyone, we all screw each other over at some point. Seriously, man. You're looking like that here because we, yeah, then yeah, we just bash him. Yeah, we just we just bash him, basically for not liking the Goonies oh, every single Mike. time. Yeah. He's not even here and you're bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, well, it's got to be brought up, hasn't it? <laughs> wow, the Goonies was brought up in a Stephen King podcast. Well, yeah. It kind of makes sense. All right, so so I think we got a little bit on the body. Um, is there anything in, per, in particular you wanted to bring up, George? Any the any movies, adaptions, or whatever that you thought stand out really for one for either bad or good? Um, I think like, the ones that I consider good, um, that live up to the hype of what I read before the movie came out as in the book would be like obviously Stand By Me, The Green Mile. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. Green Mile is a fantastic movie. Um, yeah. That one I would actually probably put up there. Maybe that was even better than the book. I mean, I really enjoyed The Green Mile. They did an amazing job with that movie. Um, obviously, Shawshank Redemption. Yep. 
Yeah. I mean, then you have then you have the turds out there, the, like the, uh, the the family that turns into cats and stabs people with fucking corn on the cob. <laughs> oh, sleepwalkers! Sleepwalkers! Yeah, yeah. Sleepwalkers. I actually like that movie. I do like Get that. Get out of here! That movie is a piece no, of I shit. No, I do. <laughs> I was telling George, George earlier. I was telling George <laughs> yeah. earlier. I completely confused that with the Tommy Knockers. Like I was, I went in my movie room, was just looking at some of my movies, and I'm like, "Oh, Tommy Knockers." I'm like, oh, "I think that's the one where they like turn into cats." And I turn the back over and read it, <laughs> and it's about aliens. And I'm like, "Aliens?" I'm like, "I don't think that happened in it." What the hell movie am I thinking of? And the irony yeah, of that, Tommy Knockers. Was... Go ahead, Shane. Oh yeah, I was gonna say Tommy Knockers had Tracy Lords in it. Yes, it did. <laughs> Mm, a sure Tracy, side of a Tracy great movie. Yeah. You know, Tracy Lords was also <laughs> in Shark and Saw Women's Prison Massacre, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I think she was in a movie called Face Invaders as well. Oh my god. <laughs> that, she was also that in... one I'm not familiar with. <laughs> Me neither. Well, she was also in... <laughs> yeah, she was also in Blade, and she was really hot in Blade, let's face it. Yeah, she was. She didn't make it past the opening fight. <laughs> She was oh, no. <laughs> the credits even came up. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, movie does have an awesome scene with cameos, though, because you had, what was it, Clive Barker, um, uh, Steve, um, Sam Raimi, and a couple others were in that in one scene. I think they were ambulance drivers. Yes. And sleepwalkers. <laughs> it was a big yeah, cameo. I think even King was one of them. I can't really remember. He's He's in a lot of his movies from the uh, 80s and 2000s, or in the 80s and 90s. He sort of yeah. stopped doing that, though. Honey, this machine is called being an asshole. <laughs> well, that he directed that one. <laughs> so you can put the blame fully yeah. on him for that. That, of, that of course, is uh, Maximum Overdrive. Yes, it is. <laughs> that movie, Maximum Overdrive, is without a doubt one of my like guilty pleasures in life. <laughs> that i i know it's terrible and it is so dumb but every time i watch it i love it like a little bit more you got the full acdc soundtrack and, like, the whole thing was made by acdc and i'm not gonna say anything bad about acdc because who doesn't like a little acdc in their lives but i mean when you're talking the entire movie who that's a little bit much yeah even the riffs like when the kid's getting chased by a lawnmower <laughs> Oh, that scene was great. Uh, and then it kills the coach. I think was that the lawnmower that killed the coach? No, it was the soda, was the soda machine that killed the coach. Well, the lawnmower made it onto the baseball field at one point, didn't it? Oh yeah, a riding mower. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's what I'm thinking of. I think that riding mower was the one they may have used in uh, the Shyamalan and Ding Dong movie. Shyamalan and Ding Dong. <laughs> Mark, Mark Wahlberg talks to, talks to plants. <laughs> yeah, we. Um, the last time I watched uh, Maximum Overdrive, it was probably only a year ago, I think. Where I was up in New Year's Eve with like my cousins drinking in Vermont, and for whatever reason, we couldn't decide what to watch. And you know, the threat is always like, if you girls don't decide what we're gonna watch, then we're gonna decide, and you're not gonna like it. <laughs> and it's usually like a Chuck Norris movie or something. But this particular time, I threatened with Emilio. And they're like, oh, I like Emilio, Mighty Ducks, and blah, blah, blah. So I pop Maximum Overdrive right in. They, they were not pleased. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a guilty pleasure movie. 
guilty pleasure yeah, without movie. A doubt. The the, the story remember. for that one was actually pretty interesting. Um, Truck, trucks, yeah, trucks. Yeah, the I never there was a, a sci-fi channel movie, I think that was a remake of it named Trucks, and I don't think I ever watched that. It's actually a really old story of his too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Stephen King wrote Trucks, I think, even before he wrote The Shining. Yeah, that's old. Holy crap. His his first um, movie was Carrie, right? Or his first adapted movie. Uh, yes. And that one's a classic. And I was telling uh, my, my cousin John Doolin was commenting on how he wanted, he wanted to at least hear my thoughts on Carrie or whatever. But I might have to hold off on that because I've got this fascination with the other Carrie movies, the remakes, and and uh, Carrie 2, um, The Rage, that I might want to save that for another podcast. I feel like I could do an entire podcast on all those movies together because they're so fucking weird. Like, the, the, the first one is, is great, and it's an awesome... It's one of the best, like, high school movies that there is, despite some of the people being in their 20s. But, like, the remake... Yeah, De Palma, of course, and it's one of his best movies yeah. too. And uh, but one of the remakes, the 2002 one that has Angela Bettis in it, when she filmed the movie, she was almost 30 years old, and she plays like a 16 year old. Yeah. And I'm like, this is amazing, <laughs> love it. They're just balls to the wall in those ones. They had some really good practical effects in that at the end too. Yeah, and the first one was amazing. The, but what they did cut out of that one from the book, from what I remember, and it's been a long time since I read that book. That was one of the earliest King books I think I read. Um, that one, they cut out a lot of the religious stuff. I mean, they had it in a little bit, you know, with, with her mom and everything being like super religious. But they didn't they didn't delve into how deep her sort of religious psychosis was. No, that, yeah, you're right. And I think that's like a big part that they're sort of missing from it. And, you know, King sort of puts forward that, like, is she actually the devil? Like, you know, it's one of those, maybe it's not just psychic powers. Maybe she's like some type of Lucifer thing going on because the mom is so religious. They sort of bounce that, they bounce the idea off each other. He never comes out and says it, but, you know, it's, yeah, I don't know if I would even go as far as implied. It's just suggested. But that's a really good one. I like that one. John Travolta, of course. Which one stick out for you, Shane? Oh, it's really quite difficult to um, to choose just one. It really is. Um, Carrie obviously is a, is a great a great film. I, me, I can remember watching that when I was quite young, and thinking it was such a cool movie. Um, oh, I would have to say Christine is definitely one of my favourites, mm-hmm. which is to me i think it's underrated because it's yeah. not it's not your standard stephen king slasher kind of movie it's it's just about about a possessed car which i'd never heard of anything like that before in my you know when i was younger i'd never heard anything like that about a possessed car before but it was just everything about it was fantastic and just creepy it was and creepy it sounds ludicrous, yeah. but it was a creepy yeah. movie, which you have to give a lot of props but to not... Carpenter for that. Oh, fuck yeah. I think that's actually one of my favorite Carpenter movies that he's done. 
um, because his adaptation of that, everything about it, I mean, the whole, the sickly green colours of, um, oh, what's his face? Uh, shit. Um, the main character? Yeah. Uh, what was it? Artie. Arnie. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, when he's driving the car and you've got like the dashboard lights and everything, or the street lights and everything, it just looks so sickly green. You know, it just looks amazing. Everything about it, and, and it's like the not knowing because when you're watching the film for the first time, you're not you think to yourself, "Is actually is anybody actually behind the wheel of that car?" And obviously, there's a couple of instances when there is no one behind the wheel of the car. So it's you know it is it is a creepy film and it's it's genius in the way it was executed. Yeah, I mean everything about the movie is is I think top notch King and top notch Carpenter. I mean together they. Yep. Yeah. I mean that movie was like of course the most famous scene is when Christine is just wedging itself in that little alleyway to get. <laughs> oh yeah. That's yeah, something when the guy that gets cut in half. Yeah. The the um the special effects in that movie, I'm still not sure how all of them are entirely done. I know it's like all slow motion and reverse film and and all that, but it looks so good. They if they made that movie again today, you know they would just try to CGI everything and it oh, would look like complete garbage. That movie today looks better than any special effect you're going to see today. Like it is when the car's uncrumpling itself and you know regenerating oh, yeah. its parts and whatever. oh yeah yep oh it's it's so good I I love that that's one of my favorite parts of the movies the special effects but that is one and I'm gonna say because I was a huge fan of that book that's one of the few books that I've read multiple times all the way through um that one I absolutely love and I love it because the the characters are so in depth in the book. Like, Carrie yeah. is not reference. She's in the movie way more than she's in the book. I mean, the car itself. Like, the, the whole rest of it is talking about the characters and the transition and sort of what Arnie's going through and how he's reacting to people. And it, uh, talking about the original owner it goes into this whole backstory of, you know, what the original owner went through and all that. It's a great book. And I, I think that one, despite being a great movie, I think it is... Overshad uh, overshadowed by the book a fierce amount. Oh, I think so too. Mm. I agree. Yeah. See, I can't, I can't actually remember the last time I read the book, but um, I remember loving it and thinking it was one of the best Stephen King books I'd read at the time. I mean, what's what's interesting too is even though I love the movie Christine, the first thing I have to say that I love about it is Carpenter's score. It's, it, that sounds ridiculous, but. The you know score what? made that movie. Yeah, do you know what? No, you say that, George, but I was going to say exactly the same thing. The soundtrack. Can't beat it. Not only was it Carpenter's score, but the actual soundtrack itself, you know, the songs from the 50s yep. that are played throughout the entire film, it just suits it so well. And it's such a good soundtrack as well. I love it. In fact, yeah, I think I'm going to watch it this weekend. Anytime that you can turn the radio on and the old doo-wop songs are on the radio. Mm. And then even what's yeah. interesting, too, is you had at the times you had the, that music overlapping Carpenter's score at the same exact time they were both playing. And it was just, yeah. it's just great. It enhances the scene. Yeah, very. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I do. I love the ending too. After uh, after she's been crushed into a cube, and then all you hear is the radio turn yes. on. Yep. Uh, it's so awesome. And then the guy walks by with a boombox. <laughs> yeah. The the music was coming from the boombox. <clears throat> I love the '80s. <laughs> I mean, the, even thinking about the scene, I get like goosebumps because it was filmed so well. And yeah. you guys are probably gonna agree with this when Carrie, when Christine is hidden at the end, when they're gonna they're doing the final confrontation, and then all of a sudden he he goes, "Show me," and then you hear Carpenter score, ding, and then the lights turn on on the yeah. car at the same time. That that's the best yeah. scene in the movie. Goosebumps. Yes. Goosebumps. So good. Yeah, I've got them now. Actually, <laughs> just thinking about it. Seriously. But that I mean, Christine, the film itself was that it actually went into production before the book had actually been published because of Stephen King's popularity at the time. I mean, Christine was what 1983. Yeah. So, yep. um, yeah, so obviously he was incredibly popular at the time, book-wise, and you know films they were doing at the time as well. They were always popular, and I think it was just after Salem's Lot when Christine came out. But it was, yeah, I think it was John Carpenter was more insistent on getting that film um, ready, and then yeah. just did the book. And I thought he did a fantastic job of it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, mm. he did. That was his follow-up to the thing, Carpenter. That was the very next movie he did. I'm thinking we need to do a John Carpenter podcast at some point as well. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to. Well, the problem with that yeah. is all we're going to do is just be gushing all over him. Well, no. Yeah, that, <laughs> that could that sound I mean, quite wrong. So, so we're going to have to pick some later Carpenter films to also throw yeah. in there. Yeah, he, we'll, we'll gush on him up into the year 2000. After that, there's the gushing is, is falling to the wayside. Well, when was yes. Vampires? Was that like 98, 99? 90... 99. Vampires was 98. So that, that was, was probably yeah. the tipping point, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Then once he did Ghosts yeah. of Mars in 2001, that's where the shit oh, just hit the fan. Oh, God, Ghosts of Mars. <laughs> I only watched that one. So, so, <laughs> speaking of not shitting on enough movies, uh, let's go into a little bit of, of King's shit movies, um, because we certainly don't want to pass over those. Um, I want to start. I want to start first with. I'm just going to bring up the Children of the Corn series. So, this story, which it's a short story, I forget what the title of it even is. I don't think it's Children of the Corn. I think it's he, something else. It's like he who walks behind the rose or something, something like that. I don't remember. But right. the the movie I was never a big fan of, you know, it's it's got Linda Hamilton in it and I don't remember who the guy is. And it has a bunch of creepy kids and there's a couple good scenes like towards the beginning when they're investigating the town and they're they can't find anybody. And then it sort of does little flashbacks where the kids are killing the adults. I mean, that's all cool and everything. But I never got into the rest of the movie. And for the life of me, I can't understand how they made, like, fucking eight of these things. I don't even know how many there are. There's got to be that many now. I think you're right. I think they even made a sci-fi a movie just for sci-fi on that. <clears throat> yeah. It's unbelievable. The more I've only ever seen ones, the first two. Oh, well, Shane, we're going to have to do another <laughs> series. Like, like like we did our Hellraiser oh, episode, no. we're going to have to do another one. Oh, oh right, okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so like, yeah, they just get they get more ridiculous. I mean, King doesn't have anything to do with that. Obviously, nah. they, they sort of they took his idea. And for what who is watching these is my is my question. I mean, I can understand people trying to vamp, you know, rip off some other movies and just keep churning them out. But why is Children of the Corn chosen as like, you know, we need another Children of the Corn movie. Eight wasn't enough. Cash grabs. Yeah, I, yeah. That's what I mean. How is there cash in this? Why, who is watching this shit besides me? They <laughs> make a movie like that on a shoestring budget, and do they get it back just from probably royalties and just throwing it up on Netflix alone? I guess you head out and you uh, you film it out in a cornfield somewhere in Nebraska or wherever, and that's about <laughs> it. Yeah, I mean, the first one was, I thought it was creepy as hell. I mean, I remember being afraid when I was watching that when I was a kid. I, I never got into it. Even when I was little, I was like, ah, this was all right. Let's just watch Christine again. Yeah, when I was little and I seen this movie, Malachi scared the shit out of me. Yeah, that's true. That big ginger's creepy. Yeah. And he always carried that really big... Hey, that's ginger people for you, though. <laughs> <laughs> And it was Sorry, surprising. I said that that. It was surprising at the end that yeah. it actually did turn supernatural when um, the main the main kid came back and he was like possessed and he's like he wants you too, Malachi. Totally wasn't expecting that. Yeah. So you're putting Children of the Corn on, on your uh, shit list for for King, huh? Okay. Um, yeah, I'll say that the movie. The first one, I'm just going to give it like a mediocre. It's it's fine. I don't, you know, it's there. I'll watch it. I'm not going to be like, this is terrible because I watched so many other worse movies. But it's not something I would put on his, like, you have to see this list. Mm, no, I would agree with that. You know, it's not up there with um, Carrie and um, no. Christine or, I mean, even Cujo I like a lot more than Children of the Corn. Oh, anybody likes Cujo more than Children of the Corn. Yeah. <laughs> What do you throw up there as, as, a, as a shit Stephen King movie scene? Oh, uh, see, I discussed this with Ryan the other day, but basically uh, the Langley's absolutely <laughs> despise, I despise the story, I despise the film more. I actually, I think, and I quote, I said if we brought up the Langley's, I would put a bullet in my brain. Unfortunately, well, <laughs> fortunately, I don't actually have a gun to hand, so that's always a winner, but no, I just hated it really hated it now, the story just really so i feel like that's that's probably a movie that a lot of our younger audience if we have any aren't familiar with like so tell us what's going on in the langoliers <sighs> do i have to really? <laughs> um, no because i know you told me you fell asleep watching it <laughs> yeah yeah this is true actually um and it's basically it's kind of like a, um these people on a plane they get sucked into a wormhole and um, the wormhole is their past. So it's everything that they see hasn't happened yet, or it, it has happened, but it's like empty and everybody is gone. And there are creatures that are eating the, the remnants of the past. So they hear, so in the film, they hear this constant munching sound going on and they can't work out where it's coming from. And it's getting closer and closer and closer, and they still can't work out what it is. And then it basically turns out these creatures—they're like really bad CGI balls of teeth and flesh—and they eat everything 
in sight, and it's just bad. Awful um, CGI Pac-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Why did I never think of that before? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's just really fucking awful. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. That's that's one of those movies. Like even your description, that yeah. was better. I I don't remember half of that. Like I don't I don't remember that it was like their past. I don't even know. It was just I remember people on a plane and I remember giant yeah. CGI balls. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah. That's just yeah, it was just really bad. It was just really bad CGI balls with teeth. Yeah. And you could tell it was really bad because it was the way they were munching through the tarmac on the on the airstrip. And you're like, yeah, that's just not right. Yeah, yeah, they they tried pulling they tried pulling that off before that that was made and they tried pulling that off before CGI was even remotely close to being um developed where it looks semi realistic. Well, plus it was made that, for TV. It, it didn't even have like a Hollywood budget. Yeah. No, that was that came out was at ninety four, ninety five, something like that. Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah. You should go back through a wormhole, Shane, and, and see exactly what date that came out. <laughs> um, no, that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> Good God. Thanks what for the George, same what, what's one of your what's one of your bad king movies? One of my, one of my bad king movies is probably it's on my list of one of the worst movies I've ever seen list, and that's going to be that's definitely without a doubt the Mangler. Oh yes, I'm so glad you brought this up. <laughs> there is no way around that. The once it is absolutely horrid. It is awful, awful. It, it's it's a possessed, basically, uh, what was it, like a cotton gin? It, it was like, a oh, laundry machine yeah. used for cleaning laundry. It was... Oh! Yeah, wasn't there a scene where an old lady gets caught in it and she gets flat-packed? A bunch of people oh, that do. Was, uh, Robert Englund gets flat-packed. Yeah. Yeah. And then somehow the power that's possessing this machine can be transferred to other things and... There was actually a, um, a a scene that lasted too long of the main character, and I think he had somebody with him getting attacked by a fucking refrigerator. Really? <laughs> it, did you read the book on this, or the story, I mean, rather? No, I, I didn't. So this was another one that was in one of his collections. Um, it, I And I think, so I don't have any of my Stephen King books anymore. I actually gave them away to one of my younger cousins. Um, because I think she turned like 14 and she's like, Oh, I really like Stephen King. So I came home and just packed up all my paperbacks and gave them to her. Um, so I don't have it anymore, but it was in one of his collections. I'm not sure which one, maybe skeleton crew. And I think it was only 10 pages, maybe. And it, it's just this short and sweet story about like a detective investigating a couple weird murders and they all take place around this one cleaning machine. And, you know, the long and short of it is, obviously, it turns out the cleaning machine's killing people. But, you know, it was just a real quick once-over. That's the story. And they made three movies out of this. Yeah. No, they, they should do them all. <laughs> the Mangler with with um, um, Robert England. The Mangler 2 with Lance Henriksen, of course, everybody's favorite guy that gets stuck in horrible <laughs> movies. 
and part three with nobody. It's called like Mangler Reborn. Oh, now, really? The, oh. The, the part I like about Mangler 1 is that it's directed by Toby Hooper, and it's what I call Exhibit A when discussing that Toby Hooper is not actually a good director. Oh, I am 100% on board with that. <laughs> I've always gotten flack for saying that he isn't a good director, but I... It, oh, yeah. And I don't care what anybody says. Any Poltergeist was not Toby Hooper. I think Spielberg still directed that under the cover of darkness. Oh, that's what everybody says. And if it, if it was Toby Hooper, I will say this, that is without a doubt his best movie, and if he did it, he did an excellent job in that. And he hasn't been able to repeat it before or after. No. No, he's horrible. One of uh, I won't even go there because it's not Stephen King, but then it just leads me to other shit that he directed, like Spontaneous <laughs> Combustion. Oh my god. Um, who was the main guy in that? Oh. I could picture him. Yeah. Oh, it's going to kill me. I could see him burning up. Yeah, that was a dumb movie. Um, but yeah, part three. So this is weird, too. I was looking up some stuff on part three because once I went down the IMDb wormhole, um, I was trying to remember exactly what the plot was because it's been a few years since I watched it. I actually watched it on demand for free. I'm looking at the thing, and there's a there's a post on IMDb for like, oh, here's info about this movie coming out. And I open it up and it's a link to UHM. Sweet. And the person who, the person who posted the link, her name was Baby Jen with a bunch of numbers after it. Do you think that's Jen? Uh, I have no idea. Who else would be posting UHM links? And she's been around forever, too. Yeah. The name you're looking for, by the way, was Brad Dorif. Yes, Brad Dourif. Yes. <laughs> shit movie. <laughs> Such a shit movie. So anyway, yeah, the Manglers are absolutely horrible. I'm with you on that. And and again, I'm not going to post any blame to Stephen King because literally he wrote down a couple pages and was like, oh, that's a cool little, you know, short story you can read while you're on the toilet for one sitting. It wasn't anything that, like, had any in-depth character development or anything like that. It was just like this little... Oh, here's a here's the laundry machine that kills people, and they somehow made it into three movies. Yeah, it, I, I don't know. I don't know who would even read that story and say this has to be a movie. I mean, if anything, it would make if you if you had like a haunted building story or something, and at the basement of the building there was a laundry machine that killed somebody in one scene. That would make sense, you know? You'd be like, oh, okay, that's that's a good little segment to put in a film, but. I'm going to bring up a little, maybe not necessarily controversial, but it gets a lot of praise, and I don't know that it's it's just praise, and that's Night Flyer. Oh, I love Night Flyer. Do you? The movie? Yes. So, I feel like this movie should have been an episode of Tales from the Crypt. If it was a half an hour, it would have been perfect. But... At an hour and a half, it's absolutely not. It's It just does not work. It stretches out. There's nothing that happens. It's Miguel Ferrer going around, who I love him in the movie, but it's it's him going around drinking and investigating this thing, trying to figure out what's going on for the entire time. There's barely any kills in it. I don't know. I just... It didn't do it for me. This This movie was one that I could easily bypass, but it gets a lot of talk because it's super hard to find and, and it's out of print on DVD. 
So I don't know that it that it deserves it. You ever seen that one, Shane? Think how long ago it was. It was a few years ago, and I can always remember not liking the film as much as the story. Yeah, um, I mean, it was like it's yeah. it's about like uh, a vam a giant bat vampire bat thing that kills people in its yeah. airplane. Yeah, actually, it's got there's a really quite a funny scene in that where the where Miguel Ferrer is gone to the bathroom and the vampire is in there and he's looking the got and he's looking in the mirror and all he can see is this stream of blood hitting a urinal and when he turns around it's the vampire <laughs> actually taking a piss <clears throat> and yeah. I can always remember that I think and that was quite that was quite funny but and um it, I, it definitely had some shoddy vampire effects too <laughs> yeah yeah but I can remember watching that and thinking to myself no this movie's not good the story was way better. Yeah, and that's one I've never actually read that story. Was that a short story? I can't imagine that was a whole uh, No, it was a short story. I think that might have been in Skeleton yeah. Crew. How did I, I, I know I read that one. I don't know. Maybe I just didn't pay attention to it. Yeah, I think um, I think his short stories, I think mo most of them transition pretty well when they sort of keep them in a short story segment. Like, you know, films like The Cat's Eye or Tales from the Dark Side, stuff like that. I think those those short stories told in a, in a, in a anthology type film work the best. Yeah, because if not, you're putting a lot of fluff into it to give it like a feature film length. Right. But that like, worked well for um, the mist. Yes, it did. Yeah. Which I was gonna I was gonna bring up that is one of my favorite King adaptions, and I think it's one of my favorite horror movies from like the last ten years at least, without a doubt. That might be my favorite one. I... And again, that's that's uh, Frank Darabonte from director of Shawshank Redemption and Green Mile. I mean, this guy just hits Stephen King home runs. That's all he does. Yeah, yeah. everything about that movie, top to bottom, is is amazing. And the HP, the Lovecraftian overtones in that movie are incredible. You could actually chalk that up as possibly one of the best HP Lovecraft-type movies ever. Yeah, definitely yeah. inspired uh, Lovecraft movies. Uh, I know you're a big Lovecraft fan. I read, uh, I think, a couple of your short stories that were in uh, yeah, Lovecraft adaptions. Yeah, I wrote one specifically for a Lovecraftian um, collection, and... It's it, uh, the mythos and the way I love the whole universe. It's, it's it's amazing how it all ties together and it's and Lovecraft himself was he wasn't a writer like King. He just he refused to really even go into detail about things. Like if it was a monster, he wouldn't describe the monster. Which would just be it was something horrible covered in slime and it came from the worst <laughs> nightmare. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the only one that I know that he actually spells out is like Cthulhu. Yeah. Like, you know, he goes into detail on what the statue looks like, but when he's actually describing Cthulhu himself, it's just like unending horror. Yeah. Like that's it's always that's about something it. from your worst nightmare or unending horror of slime and blackness. It's like, okay. <laughs> I could definitely do a whole Lovecraft podcast. That's I'd be I've seen a ton of Lovecraft movies. I love them. He's one of my favorite horror writers. I mean, despite the overarching racism that you have to bring up whenever you talk about Lovecraft. Yeah. And another one you could throw up there, too, short story. That was actually, it's a guilty pleasure movie of mine, is Graveyard Shift. 
Oh yeah, that's a that's like was that in the eighties or nineties? That must have been late eighties. The, the story was written in I think the early seventies, but the yeah, the movie yeah. the movie was uh, I want to say late eighties. And Brad Dereef was in that one too, wasn't he? Yes. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah, that one's great. A... Practical monster effects in that too. Yep, that's one that I think benefits from. The, the sort of buildup that it, it it puts in it. You know, you don't see the monster at all until the very end. It's one of those ones. Yep. And it's super cheesy. It's not one of the... You know, I'm not going to be going into detail of, like, how great the characters are or anything like that, because, honestly, they're crap. But the movie's really fun. It's one of those classic 80, 80s movies. I say 80s, but I'm not. it might even be early 90s. Was, but you could pop that on at any time and have a good time yeah, watching yeah, it. Yeah, I just looked it up. It's 1990 on the dot. There you go. Um, but yeah, with a giant bat at the end and that's, um, and the, I forget what it was. Like maybe it's a paper mill. I think that's where it takes place. Yeah. And they're cleaning up the basement of the paper mill. Yeah. They they were cleaning. They were a cleaning crew. Yep. I, oh no, maybe it's a cotton mill, something like that. <clears throat> as long as the mangler wasn't there, I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he should have done a little bit of a tie-in and say this is the machine that made the laundry that the mangler cleans. Oh, then I would. I, then I don't like the movie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's 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 definitely a good guilty pleasure one. Another good guilty pleasure one that I actually love is uh, Silver Bullet. Oh yeah. We got Gary Busey in it. You got werewolves, and and I believe this is pre-accident Gary Busey, but. In it, he plays a crazy uncle, and you sort of get the impression that they didn't tell Gary Busey they were filming a movie. <laughs> they just ex they just explained to him that there's a werewolf on the loose, and he needs to tell this kid about it. And I feel like Gary Busey sat him down and was like, look out, we got a werewolf. It's coming right for you, man. You got to get up there and stop it. I'm going to make you a turbo-powered wheelchair. What can go wrong with that? <laughs> oh, man, that's great. It's another one of those great fun '80s movies. It's dumb. That's a movie it's that dumb, can only you... be in the '80s. Yeah, you can't you can't watch that movie and not smile because of how stupid it is. What are your thoughts on um, Needful Things? So Needful Things, I really like the movie, and more than Needful Things, I think I like the Rick and Morty episode. That's that's spawned off of Needful Things. Um, have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. So, it's you ever watch Rick and Morty? Nope. Oh. Well, it's a ridiculous cartoon show. I'm sure you've probably seen dumb stuff on the internet about it. It probably is one of those and, things if I see it, I'm like, oh, now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you're like, oh, I've seen that before. But anyway, the whole the concept of the show is that um, Rick, who is Morty's grandfather, is like a, a genius scientist, picture sort of like a Doc Brown type, like can invent anything at any time to do anything. Mm -hmm. And they, they traverse the multiverse looking for adventures and just doing random shit. So for whatever reason, this guy opens up an antique shop in town and like Rick goes to the antique shop and he's trying to get his granddaughter out of there for whatever reason, because he's, he's bored and wants to hang out with somebody. And uh, the granddaughter works at the antique shop for the guy whose name is like Mr. Satan or something. <laughs> and the guy's handing out stuff and he's like, Oh, why don't you try using this microscope? You'll probably like it. And uh, Rick looks at it, he goes, what is it, some type of curse? And he's like, no, why would you say that? He's like, all right, I'll be right back. And he comes back, he's like, yeah, I invented a machine that detects curses and removes them. 
So he's like, if I looked in this microscope, I would have become an idiot. So like the, the whole episode is him like, then he opens a store across the street that removes curses from cursed items, <laughs> but you get to keep whatever powers that it gives you or something. Oh, great. It's just ridiculous. It's a whole spoof on a thing, and I love it. But, yeah, I, I like Needful Things. I think that's, um, along with Salem's Lot, that's one of the one of the better uh, miniseries King movies that's out there. That was a, that was a feature film. Was it? I thought yeah. that was a miniseries. No, that was a major film. Oh, jeez. That was in theaters. Well I, well, I didn't know that. That's what I was going to say. That's why I thought it was such a good miniseries. <laughs> no, it's actually, it's, I believe it's even rated R. Wow. I'm trying to think of what part would be rated R in that. I guess language. There really wasn't much violence other than the um, the, the bloody laundry scene when she was hanging like bed sheets outside. But Max von Sydow killed in that movie. He was oh yeah, he was amazing. He was amazing in that movie. So was Ed Harris. Yeah, Ed Harris totally underrated. See, I like I like movies like that are from books like this because it was. I read the story like a few times, and, and even though there's a, some differences in the movie, the movie stands alone on its on, on its own because of the performances. Yeah, I never read the book. The the performance that Max once said did as like basically Satan. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it was sorry. Sorry for spoilers. I mean, <laughs> come on, folks. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen this movie yet, it was 1993. Uh, then everybody's seen the premise: a creepy <laughs> old guy moves into town and opens an antique shop. It's pretty much been spoofed in everything. Pretty much, and you know, no one thinks anything crazy is going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like claiming souls. <laughs> don't worry about that you know that good stuff he might want your soul but that, that's cool yeah that little um, trinket that you're gonna throw away in the day is well worth your soul i just realized that that is sort of like friday the 13th the series that i never really thought about that like they're they're recovering all the crap that they've that the cursed items that are given away yeah hey shane's back hey shane there you are hey there we go <laughs> it will act like you never left. So mm. I'll just cut that line out. We decided okay. when you were gone that the rest of the podcast we're gonna uh, play back the Langoliers and we're right, gonna well, do like a mystery science theater like three thousand like podcast. Right, well, in, that. That, in that case, I'll leave you guys to it and I'll fuck <laughs> off the bed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we we brought up oh, needful shit. things, Shane. Yes, um, needful things, need, needful things. Hang on, yeah. Let me just say, yes, I have seen Silver Bullet, and it was very cool, but it was also very cheesy. Um, needful things, that's the one, that's the antique shop, right? Yeah, Max von Sydow. You got it. <laughs> Max von Sydow, yes. Um, who else was in that? Uh, Ed Harris. That's it, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I, I vaguely remember that with the baseball card and stuff like that. Yes, mm-hmm. love that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's been a few years since I've watched it, but I remember liking that one a lot. I'm starting to feel really old because every movie we've talked about so far, I've actually seen in the theater. Wow, I didn't think you were that old. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm 40. <laughs> wow. I've seen all of them. I've seen all of these. Uh, Meet my father. Uh, Took me to the movies like all the time when we were growing up, and 
my very first movie I ever seen in the theater, he took me to a midnight showing of Dawn of the Dead. Holy crap, that's a good first movie. Yeah. That's awesome. It was it was years after it released, but they had a special midnight showing. Back then, they even did every night at midnight, They all the theaters played the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> every night at midnight. And this one theater, did, I think it was like 1981 or 82, I was six years old. My father got me. He he got me into Dawn of the Dead. I actually seen Dawn of the Dead in the theater. Well, let's go to one maybe you haven't seen in the theaters. How about Dead Zone? Uh, I've tried watching that many times. I can't. It just puts me to fuck to sleep. I really? Chris, well, it's Christopher Walken for a start, and it's Christopher Walken doing his best at being scary. Yeah. He doesn't have So he just acts himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't. I, I've never made that whole movie. Wow, that's surprising. You never, you never saw the. Um, well, maybe that was in the middle of the movie where he he finds out that Martin Sheen is going to blow up the world. Nope. I. And then he, and then Walken decides that he has to assassinate Martin Sheen. It's so good. I've I've tried watching it. I, I it's just one of those movies I, I I can't keep going on. I haven't even read the story. Yeah, I don't think I read that one either. The um, but the part I, I mean, not the part that I remember, but one of the funniest parts of that is you know, Walken always did Saturday Night Live apparent appearances in like the late '90s and 2000s. Yeah. Right. So he did one where he he reprised his role as the guy from the Dead Zone, and it started like working at an office, but he he could only see the for the foreseeable future of insignificant things, and he'd be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he'd touch a guy's hand and be like. The coffee. You're gonna, you're gonna you're gonna get a coffee, and it's gonna be too hot. You're gonna burn your tongue. And the guy's like, "Oh my god, am I gonna die?" He's like, "No, but you'll be very annoyed." <laughs> I can just. <laughs> I'm playing that back in my head with the Christopher Walken voice, and it's just. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, really I am as well. <laughs> oh um... man, I love it. But yeah. No, the Dead Zone is pretty good. I mean, they made that TV show in the 2000s, too. Um, I never... I watched, like, one or two episodes of it because I was a fan of the movie. I mean, again, that's another one that I'm... I wouldn't gush about. I like it. I like Christopher Walken. I mean, if you're a Christopher Walken fan, you have to watch that one because it's honestly one of his most restrained performances. If If such a word can be said about Christopher Walken, that's definitely one that's not as out there as some of his other stuff. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna try it again. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm just gonna let well enough be alone, and, and I'm not watching the, the Dead Zone. Can't win them all. No. no, you know, with King too. I mean, another thing that that has become like the cliche thing to say with Stephen King is he he lost his touch after his accident. Which, to me, again, that's not cliche. I mean, the evidence is apparent. His writing. Not his skills, but his storytelling and what he wants to tell everybody is drastically different after his accident than before it. It's like you he, see, I never, I like never read any of the big balls. stories. I never read the big ones after that, like the Dark Tower or any of the other stuff. I, I never really got into that. Oh. I feel like after the third or fourth book came out, I'm like, oh, I'm way too far behind. I can't start reading now. Yeah, I mean, a perfect example for that is uh, from a, from a Buick Eight. That book is awful. Awful. 
Isn't that the one that had like uh, uh, tentacles coming out of the the car or something? It was. It went through a couple of cover arts for that, but no, it it that that book was just awful. I never read that. Good. <laughs> I remember buying. I remember buying it. Had it on my shelf. I thought I'll read that, and then somebody mentioned, "Oh, I need to get the new Stephen King book." Here you go, have it. Oh, thank you very much, Shane. <laughs> and that, that was it. Yeah, I mean. The car looks like a blue Christine on the on the cover, if I remember correctly, and uh, it's basically oh my god, it's kind of like a ghost story, but it's not. It's it's got like I don't know. This is even hard to describe. I mean, it's it's just a shitty book. You're reading it, and I remember many times saying to myself, "What the fuck am I reading?" <laughs> This is terrible. Terrible. It's like he lost all of his balls from the accident. Like all the stories before, like um, Pet Cemetery, um, It, um, even the Tommyknockers. Those were some hardcore. There was hardcore horror in all of his previous work before his accident. And that just dropped off a cliff after. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. I was gonna I was gonna say um, Rose Red, but that wasn't a book. No, that was a short story. But the the miniseries was outstanding. Yeah, that was a good one, and that was later. That was uh, in the two thousands, I think. Yeah, when he's making that. See, I I can't remember if I've seen that one or not. It's the haunted house. Uh... As Julian Sands in it. Yep. No, I don't think I've seen that one. I'll have to I'll have to hunt that one down and give that a look. It's one of my favorite haunted house movies. Okay. Yeah, it's good. I mean, certainly better if you look at the the haunted house crap that was coming out at the time when you had like the haunting and um, uh, the house on haunted hill remakes Ooh, and the uh, what was the other one too? Thirteen Ghosts. Yeah. All the likes. Well, I mean, that was a guilty pleasure a little bit. Shannon Elizabeth in that one. I'm like, I can let that slide. Well, yeah. Um, but the but the, in terms of coming out in that time period and being a made-for-TV miniseries, it was really good. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely had its creepy moments too. It was it was a well very well done. Well, I'm shopping tomorrow, so I'm pretty sure I'll try and find a copy of that. It shouldn't be too hard to find. I think I've got a DVD. It's it's long though. I think it might, it might be like six hours or something, isn't it? it, it is. It's really long ones. It's very long. It was, I think it was almost a full week miniseries. Wow. Yeah, it's a long movie. It's really long. Yeah, but you get into it though. I mean, Shane, you're the guy that watched six seasons of Game of Thrones over the course of like four <laughs> days. No, eight days. Thank you. <laughs> Get it right. It took me. It took me six years to do that, Shane. Well, it's oh no, look. We'll have to save that for another time. But yeah, I, let's just say I got into it, and I was like, "Mighty fuck, this is good." And then that yeah, was it. yeah. They um, they, re no. they redeemed themselves with Rose Red because the the last TV series from King before that, I'm almost positive, was Storm of the Century, which was another abysmal movie. Oh, that oh, was I never saw awful, that. that was. Oh. I, mean, I remember watching that on VHS, and I was thinking, what the fuck is this shit? Can I tell you? Yeah, you hit it right on the head. It's shit. It was yeah. horrible. Yeah. 
horrible. Hmm. It's well, I know. Uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you saying? It's almost kind of like, in a way, everybody's trapped. It, it in a way, it's almost like the mist because everybody's like just confined. But it that's where the similarities end, and it just turns into crap. Yeah. Can we go back to the mist for a second, actually? Uh, sure. Because, like, I, I I forgot to bring up how much stuff I love in that movie itself. The um, what the woman um, Marsha Harden is maybe yeah. the most hated person ever on film of all time in that in that movie. Yeah, like her character, nobody's hated a character as much as you end up hating her by you know by the end of the movie. Yeah, she plays such a good religious nut job, like the best one of all time. She's like number one in my book. Yeah, that, and, she came off as a complete annoyance in that movie. Oh, just perfect. Like, uh, up on the scale of, um, shit, what's the guy's name? Played uh, Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. Yeah. And, um, and the reporter also... from... Die Hard. Um, Die Hard, yes. Isn't it, <laughs> is it like, isn't that Richard Atherton? Is that, um, I think that's his name, like Richard Atherton. Name's not ringing a bell. I just I just know it was Walter Peck. I don't know. Yeah. Like up up until I saw this lady, he was my most hated <laughs> character in a movie. <laughs> but I love I love the mist and the um, another like interesting part about that is so I I read that one um, later. I was probably just coming out of high school. I think maybe I was in high school still. But at the time, Half Life was really big on the computer. And, like, I'm reading The Mist, and I'm like, this is the fucking, this is, like, what happens at the military base. Like, they're describing, you know, what's going, oh, there's some weird things going on in the military base. And then you watch the movie, and again, it's Half-Life, I'm convinced the story was made of the first game that it takes place during The Mist. Like, the military base they, they talk about, I'm convinced that's Black Mesa. And they're, like, they're doing experiments, and Gordon Freeman is over there. Killing aliens and mercs. The so mist like, is a I great like putting the two together in my head. Yeah, the it, it. Have you guys ever seen the black and white versions? Yes. Yes. It, it's unbelievable because, like uh, Frank Darabonte again, the director has gone out and said that the black and white version is the one I wanted to release, and they wouldn't let him do it. You know, Hollywood's like, you're not putting out a black and white movie. What are you fucking crazy? So they made him color or not colorize it, but they made him release a color version. And if you buy any of the DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever, they come with a black and white one. I have 100% recommend the black and white one. Yep, I agree. So that's, that's the version I prefer to watch. Yeah, it really does give you that, like, old-school 1950s, you know, yeah. monster movie feel, not, only it's terrifying. Not only that, it looks less CG. Yep. It really does. It looks so much better in black and white. And... I, I remember watching it for the first time in black and white on Blu-ray and I was around at my friends and I was just sat there slack-jawed throughout the entire movie because it was so amazing. Yeah. I loved it. They, they did a real bad job with the release of that though because I'm not... See, I, I'm we made fun of spoilers before but this one I'm not yeah. going to spoil because... Yeah, I won't, I won't say what the ending is, but, but the ending uh, is amazing. It is. 
it's the ballsiest ending to a movie I've ever seen. Yeah. And just for the record, Stephen King liked the ending. The ending is different than what King has in his book. And like we mentioned at the beginning at the beginning of the episode, you know, what are some some movies that surpass the story? I believe this one surpasses the story. Yeah. And I yeah. believe that the ending, which is changed from King's ending, surpasses King's original ending. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's that's something that's unheard of. I you never see that. This is such a bleak movie and they released it during the holiday season. Uh, <laughs> Merry Christmas, motherfuckers. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And I, it, technically it bombed in the theaters and I'm I'm I would be willing to bet that's probably one of the biggest reasons why. And here's an interesting fact. It never got released in theaters in the UK. Straight really? Really? Yep. Holy Straight shit. Yep. Great cast in it, too. Yeah. Thomas Jane, William yeah. Sadler. Oh, my God. Yeah. The, the, the shit that went down in that movie was... You had horror on every level. You had monsters. You had... Um, the unknown. You had people. You know, it's, it's you can see the ties with Darabont too, with how his characters behave with each other in this movie, and The Walking Dead. Yeah. We well, got three people from um, yep. The Mist who are in doing... Walking Dead. Well, isn't he? Wasn't he filming The Wire or something? So the, the filming crew is from The Wire or something at the time. Yeah. I remember reading like that. that. There's some other connection going on there too. Um, but I mean, uh, oh, you know what? We forgot to cover uh, Salem's Lot. We should probably touch on that real quick. Yeah, the only Ugh. movie that the only movie that seriously still scares the shit out of me whenever I watch it. <laughs> that movie, I, I put it this way: my first movie I saw in the theaters was Dawn of the Dead. So by the time this came around, I was pretty seasoned with horror movies. I never, ever, ever turned away from a movie until I saw. That fucking kid outside the window. Danny oh, Glickman. That little oh. shit. I swear to God, I turned my head and I actually buried it in my couch. I did not want to see. I remember like it was yesterday. I was like seven years old asking my father, is he gone? Is he gone? I'm not turning back to the TV until he's gone. That scene. Holy shit. <laughs> it still gets wow. me now. Yeah. It still gets me now. Oh, it is, it is definitely still creepy. I'll tell you what's not creepy is the 2004 remake. That sucked. Starring, starring Rob Lowe. <laughs> well, thing is, that sucked, but it was more closer to the original. I was, I was just going to say that when you're yeah. discussing on whether a film is closer or further away, that, that 2004 Salem's Lot is absolutely closer yep. In terms of the story, than the than the nineteen seventy or seventy nine one, I think. Yeah, and the same thing out. goes for the the um the Shining remake. See, I never saw that, that remake. Was, yeah, me neither. That is almost page per page for the book. Really? Wow. Yep. It is a hundred percent more accurate to the book than the original. And it was not as good. So is that is that a question of? <clears throat> King's um, sort of vision just not being suited for the silver screen and need somebody like Kubrick to, you know, actually make a transition or I think or Kubrick, is that something else? I think Kubrick is too 
was <laughs> was too visionary. Too, I don't think he had any intentions of being true to the book. That's what I yeah. think. Because Kubrick was, I mean, look what he made. Look at his filmography. I mean, <laughs> he's he was a weird, weird dude, but he was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's there's a website. I can't remember what it is, but it's pages of subtle things. I posted it on UHM once too about Stanley Kubrick's The Myth, um, The Shining. Um, even how in his ver- there, he's insisting that um, what was uh, Jack Nicholson's character's name again? Jack. Yeah, but there was um, abuse and possibly. Um, sexual molestation going on between him and and uh, the kid. Hmm, serious? And, yeah. This this website gives in as it does this, it shows you scenes and it and it translates that scene with text underneath it and you're like, holy shit. This all makes sense. It even describes it even gives you why you see those two guys one guy sitting on the bed, the other guy standing up wearing like a bunny mask and a bear mask. What yeah. it, what what it really means? Because it means something. Fucking it up now. Hmm. It's such an interesting sight. It was. I just thought that was some weird shit, some weird ass shit going down. Did did you ever read? I mean, I know it's late in King's career, but did you read the um, uh, the semi sequel to it? No. Um, that that no. covers events in The Shining and other stuff. Uh, what the hell's the name of it? Oh, it's like the Dream Man or something. I can't remember. Doctor Sleep or something Doctor like that. Doctor Sleep. Yeah, isn't it the character of Danny coming back to the hotel after so many years? Yeah, that's. I heard of it. I never yeah. read it. Yeah, me either. I don't know. I guess it would be interesting. That, that's actually another book I haven't read either. That's one of King's classics that slipped by me. Just never managed to get it. The Shining? Yeah, I have the original print of that. Wow, my father, I, 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 I obtained all of my father's um, <laughs> novels that he purchased over the years, and that's it, cool. It's actually got a foil cover. It looks like wow. a mirror. Yeah, it's crazy looking. I'm still trying the to only, find this. The only original print King book I ever read was Thinner, and the awesome part about that is that it doesn't say anything about Stephen King on it. He was under his, his pseudonym, Richard Bachman. So yeah. when, when you look at the book, it's only about Richard Bachman and his, you know, it, it gives his little tales and whatever. But that was, for anyone that doesn't know, that was a name King was going by at a time when he was trying to, I don't know if he's trying to prove it or do an experiment to himself to see whether he was actually a good writer or if people just bought his books because his name was Stephen King. So he went under the pseudonym Richard Bachman and released a few books like that. Which thinner is an awesome both book and it's a really good movie too. I, I recommend that to people as well. I think I only ever saw that once. I was going back a few yeah, years. It's, it's been quite a while since I watched the movie. Yeah. Um. But I remember it being really good. I remember the book being awesome. I was super young when uh, when I read that. Probably a little bit too young. A little. Uh, I'm sure some of the stuff slipped by me that I you know didn't notice, but. That's what happened. There was even a scene in The Shining. I just I just posted the link in our Google in our Google yeah. chat for the site. I mean, 
it, this 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 article will blow your mind. Jesus Christ! They got like pictures of the Playboy that he had in his hand, or Playgirl. Mm-hmm. Why was he reading Playgirl? Wow! I never noticed this. Holy crap! Well, now I'm gonna have to read through this mess. You're gonna love this. I mean, it's. I read this page many so many times I've lost count, but it is. It makes the movie better for me because I really I'm one of the few that really didn't like the movie. I um I get a lot of I guess hate for it because I'm not in love with the movie and I've never really been in love with Kubrick. I mean I respect the hell out of the guy, but I feel he gets so much praise that I don't know people treat him like a god, and while he's certainly a visionary, that doesn't necessarily mean he's a great storyteller. Yeah, I'm going to save that link and read that later. It'll blow your mind. I'm telling you. It, it, the shit that this dissects from the movie, everything from sexual abuse between father and son to abuse with um, husband and wife to what the the blood that's coming out of the elevators is actually referencing, it, it, it describes everything. Why? Hmm. It'll make you want to watch that's the movie cool. again. <laughs> Even if you didn't like it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be down for that. No, I've watched that movie quite a few times. I mean, it's one of those things that I, I watch Kubrick movies because I really do like his visualization. And I think the way he shoots things, he is one of the best visual directors of all time, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, I mean, along the same lines, like I, I, I kind of feel the same way about like Argento. Argento is one of my favorite visual directors of all time. He's not a very good storyteller. But I think he makes some of the most beautiful movies. Or, I'm sorry, he made some of the most beautiful movies. I won't talk about anything he's made since 2000 or so. That could be its own podcast. Argento yeah. post-2000. <laughs> That's one of those ones I'll let you take care of then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, Shane. We've spoken ill of Argento too many times to be on this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> so... All right, you guys got any more thoughts on Stephen King? Is there any other movies you want to bring up? Um, final thoughts on anything we want to cover for him, for his films or anything like that? Um, I'm just gonna, I would just touch upon everybody's um, expectation for the remake of It. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah I, I almost forgot about that. I got a note on here and everything. Because everybody went batshit crazy last week when they, they showed like a partial image of Pennywise, the new Pennywise. Yeah. The thing with Pennywise, it, yeah, it's a clown is a clown. Penny, yeah. I mean, they could they could put they could take Ronald McDonald and put him in it, and if he acts like Pennywise is supposed to act, then no one's gonna have McDonald's anymore. It's right. <laughs> it doesn't matter what he looks like. It's yeah the the character that they need to nail. Everybody's like, oh my god, he looks so good. This movie's gonna be great. You saw a partially darkened face with that's of a clown, and you're basing it on that. I mean, Tim. Yeah, people. People Tim are Curry stupid. Was they good. get. Tim Curry was good they, because Tim Curry was good, not because of what he well, looked like. It's Tim Curry. I mean, yeah. he's great at playing all kinds of crazy roles. And the beauty of I mean, Tim Curry is that it doesn't Pennywise. He doesn't look like Tim Curry at all. Oh no! I had no clue it was Tim Curry. Seriously, I was. I had no fucking clue whatsoever. And then I looked at. I remember watching it and then reading the end credits. I was like. That was Tim Curry. That was Frank and <laughs> Fuck off. Really? <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> you know, it's, I just couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. And he's so awesome and sinister and just fucking pure evil. I loved yeah. it. That's, and it doesn't matter what he looked like. It was how he portrayed the character. Yeah. That's See, where a lot mean, of the adaptations of King's movies fail, is how yeah. they how they translate a main character to the screen. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, a lot of it does come back to that. I mean, as we said, King's books and stories are character-driven. They're all about the characters. And if you can't really portray that, then, you know, it's going to fail eventually. Yeah. Oh, 100%. With the exception of one of his greatest adaptions that we have not touched on yet, but I feel like it needs mentioning, and that, of course, would be the classic Running Man starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm guilty of not reading that. Many people don't know that this is a Stephen King book. Again, this was by Richard... Richard Bachman. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was Richard Bachman. And um, the book itself, it is super 1984. It's like Stephen King must have just read 1984 again and was like, you know what? I could write a story like this and sort of crafted this dystopian world with um, almost even kind of invented the idea of like a reality TV following this guy around. Only it's not like the movie at all, other than having the name, the same character, the main character having the same name and him having to be on TV. Other than that, they're not the same at all. Like, it's not about this big muscle dude fighting a bunch of stereotypes of Jesse Ventura and t- tearing people's heads off. <laughs> but it's it's supposed to be like this, like, average schlubby guy um, trying to survive. And people, like, the the rest of the audience and, and the world gets prizes for turning this guy in. It's sort of like a man on the run. And if if you provide the information that gets him turned in, you win a prize. So it's sort of like the whole world against one man. It's a pretty interesting book. It's it it like reaches out to a lot with like 1984 or even um, uh, uh, what do you call it? I am Legend or something like that, where it's sort of one man versus you know the entire society. Yeah. Hmm. So, but it's it's a really cool book. But the, I mean, if you haven't seen Running Man with Schwarzenegger, it is fucking amazing just completely bonkers off the wall i don't know that schwarzenegger says anything that isn't a one-liner i think all he does is speak in one-liners I would, in movie. you beat me to it i was just gonna say that i think almost every single line <laughs> he has in that movie is pretty much comedy gold that was also, every time, yeah. that was also sharon was that sharon stone's first major film role was it i think so she was in that sharon stone yeah, sharon are you thinking are you th- you're not thinking of Total Recall, are you? Oh, fuck. yeah, all right, yeah, sorry. I'm tired, I'm half asleep here. But um, uh, the Spanish the Spanish lady, she was in that. Yes. 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 I can't remember her name. Yeah, I was going to say, because she turned up in... She was, wasn't she in Predator as well? Yes, Maria, Maria Conchito Alonso. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's it. I love it too because they they're constantly updating like the cover art for the DVD, and oh even though they keep updating it, it still looks like it's a hundred percent like nineteen eighty four. It's great. It's great. There's no there's no way you could change his costume to make it look newer. It's it's it was made in the eighties, and you know what? It's made in the eighties. 
It's true. I love that movie. That's that's, that's a movie I had no idea. No idea it was a Stephen King anything that it was related to King until I, I was in like Barnes and Noble in like high school, and I'm just browsing, you know, through the horror section or whatever, and going down the King aisle, and uh, and it says there's a book called Running Man, and I'm like, what? What like the Schwarzenegger movie? I pull it out and take a look at it, read the back. I'm like, oh my god, it is. Yeah, yeah I've never read it. It's good. I mean, yeah, it's 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 there's no horror or anything like that and it's not you know, it's it's not like this action type thing. It's more like a a guy on the run. But it's good. It's interesting. If if you like uh 1984 type, you know, apocalyptic uh dystopian future type movies, you know, I, I would definitely recommend it. I mean, all like the, the bounty hunters are great. You had Jesse Ventura, freaking Jim Brown. <laughs> Jim Brown, oh man! Dweezil Zappa was in it. Now playing Zero. <laughs> yeah, freaking Dweezil Zappa. <laughs> Richard Dawson as uh, Damon. Richard Dawson. Damon. Yep. Great flick. <laughs> Here's your Zero. Now playing Zero. I hope you le left enough room for my <laughs> fist, cause I'm going to ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine. <laughs> I can watch that a million times in a row. I love that movie. Oh. So on that note, <laughs> I think we're gonna wrap up our Stephen King Actually, sort of retrospective. Before, before you stop, before you say anything else about wrapping up, yeah. one film we have forgotten about: The Dark Half. Oh, Dark Half! Yes. Yes. With now was it was that post accident? I don't think so. Right? No, that that was no, that was before. Was... Yeah, that was oh, okay. way before. Um, I think the film was post-accident, um, but it was the film was Timothy Hutton. Mm -hmm. I think that was him. He was in the film, playing the writer, and basically it was all about the um, killing off one of his characters, even having a funeral for him, and the character that he's just buried um, manifests itself. And terrorizes his family, and it's like the tagline: "The sparrows are flying again." Yeah, um, it was basically his alter ego. Yeah. Right. And everybody, yeah, yeah he sort of... everybody doesn't even realize that it was it was Romero that directed that. Yeah. I suppose in a way you could tell yeah. it was Romero, especially with the makeup effects and stuff. It was quite violent. Yeah. yeah. Especially with the, the, the bird scenes and stuff when yeah. they, they break into the room and they're attacking people. Hmm. Another one I've seen in the theaters. <laughs> Another one I've seen in the theaters. Yep, that one's great. Oh, that uh, had Michael Rooker in it. I love him. Yeah. I watched that one last year, I think. No, was it this year? It was when Scream Factory just released that on Blu-ray. I think it was last year I picked it up. It was a good one. Oh. So... Yeah, that just about does it for our uh, our Stephen King films. Unless you guys got any last genius insightful things you want to say about uh, any of the King movies? Uh, no, I'm just I just please stay away from the Mangler. Please, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I, I plead with anybody listening, just stay away from the Mangler. Yeah, and for me, just stay the fuck away from the Langleys. Langleys and the Mangler; those are our winners yeah. for the day, I think. <laughs> all right so we'll uh we'll bid adieu to uh our audience for now and uh we'll be back next time and talk about our uh 
other book adaptions, I think. Yeah. Sounds cool. See, you, see, you, see everybody later. Thank you for listening to UHM's podcast. Join us on Facebook, and please visit our main page at upcominghorrormovies.com. We'll see you next time.